The Infernal Bodyguard Written by Santalatron Read by Literarian Chapter 20 Hardly Working Part 1 Crowley cursed himself. He was stupid and weak and he never should have gone to that blasted book launch and especially not with flowers and a handwritten note. All he'd wanted to do was get in, deliver the flowers, pick up a copy of the book, signed if he could get one, maybe see Alistair from afar and get out. But no. Alistair had seen him, and he'd looked so shocked it had made Crowley's blood run cold. He was supposed to be calm under pressure. He was supposed to be discreet. He was supposed to be an SAS-trained bodyguard, for fuck's sake. Elite. Invisible until he decided otherwise. But apparently now he was the man who withered from a single look. Fuck. And what the fuck was up with the panic alarm going off? Striding briskly away from foils and away from Soho, Crowley berated himself for being so sentimental. The sound of a busker with a saxophone caught his attention up ahead and he nearly ran past it when he realized the song it was playing. Annie Lennox could be overflown with bliss about an angel playing with her heart as much as she liked. Alistair wasn't playing with his heart. He was crushing it. He should have changed his phone number, unpaired it from the cufflinks, done all his usual post-job admin, then none of this would have happened. But he didn't do it. He didn't because he couldn't bear to lose the last little connection he had to his angel. Couldn't let go of the hope that one day Alistair would call him. So the phone number had stayed, and now he was in even more of a mess. The bag full of belongings turned up at the hospital, but Alistair didn't. The message was quite clear. Alistair had seen him for the monster he really was, seen the violence and destruction he was capable of, and been repulsed by it. It was no surprise when Gabriel confirmed what he'd already suspected would happen. He wasn't worthy of someone like Alistair. The physiotherapist at the hospital had given him exercises to do to help his lung expand, and he did them as best he could in the knowledge that he needed his body to do his job. Experience had taught him that skimping only set you up for more problems later. The occupational therapist had also stopped by, and her face when he told her what he did for a living would have had him breathless with laughter, if he'd been capable. As it was, he could manage the breathless part. The poor woman had nearly quit on the spot, but he talked her down to just signing him off until the six-week check with strict instructions to not start training again until the physio said he could. 
the doctors warned him against flying or scuba diving for at least the next three months, and he had to fight down the belligerent impulse to book a diving holiday in the Red Sea. They also informed him his long body meant he would always be at risk of recurrence and gave him a list of things to look out for. When he'd thought about souvenirs from his time with Alistair, this was not the kind of thing he'd had in mind. The week after the hospital released him, passed in a haze of pain medication, breathlessness and checkups. He put up with the daily welfare calls that usually came at what he considered an antisocial time of the morning. The nurse took his grumbles and ever more inventive yet hollow threats as a sign that he was gaining strength. As far as she was concerned, the longer he could gripe for, the better his lung capacity must be. In between questioning him on whether he was eating enough and some highly personal questions about his bodily functions, she gently reminded him that she could still have the police perform a different sort of welfare check if he preferred. In the quieter moments, Crowley found himself watching old movies and listening to far too much Whitney Houston. For a person used to constantly moving, constantly working towards something, he was struggling with having his normal level of activity thwarted by his recovering lung and felt trapped. With all the pent-up, restless energy and binging on cheesy 80s pop, he really was starting to understand what it felt like to be in a powder keg and giving off sparks. The trip out to get his stitches removed was a breath of fresh air, or at least as fresh as London ever got, even if the nurse kept telling him off for fidgeting while she worked. His fiddling hands managed to unscrew the adjustment bolt on the seat before he realized what he was doing. Paxton called, and Crowley hadn't known what to expect when he answered. The hesitancy he heard in Paxton's voice when he asked how he was caught him off guard, and his sarcastic reply was given the long sigh it deserved. But Paxton seemed to be reassured by it. He'd called to inform Crowley that Eric's body had finally been released, now they'd matched Ligger's DNA to the evidence found, and his cremation was going to be in a few days' time. Crowley was told under no uncertain terms that if he didn't get his ass down there with at least a week's worth of clothes, then Paxton would come and get him himself. So Crowley turned up at the pub, a pale facsimile of himself, and feeling just as lost as every other time his feet had led him there, and Paxton took him in like the stray he was, yet again. The service had been well attended. Eric had been popular, and he was given the send-off he deserved for his bravery. Crowley hid at the back, avoiding people's attention, avoiding the risk of seeing the judgment there. He'd caused this. If he hadn't chosen somewhere so personal to him, Ligger would never have found them. This was all his fault. He brought the trouble down here. 
He did this. A neatly dressed elderly woman approached him as they began to file out. He vaguely recognized her. She did something to do with the church. Crowley braced himself as best he could. I'm told the, the heathen who did this was found. She pinned him with a fierce glare. Yeah, he... Well, I found him, actually. Crowley hoped she wouldn't ask for any more details. I hope you gave that little shit what he deserved, then. I hope you made it hurt. She said, her features going dark. Crowley backed away unconsciously. Uh, well, he won't be getting back up, shall we say. Her eyes flashed with righteous glee. Excellent. I always knew you'd come out all right in the end, Antony. You're a good lad. She nodded at his shocked expression and tottered off with the others. Crowley didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Afterwards, once everyone had gone home, Crowley had his first drink in months. He wasn't supposed to, what with the painkillers and all, but it was a funeral for fuck's sake. He was due some extenuating circumstances. Paxton was nearby tidying up the bar, still the same routine after all these years. This pub, Paxton, had always been there when Crowley needed him. They'd never really spoken much beyond what was necessary, but that was why Crowley liked it. He'd always been able to just come and sit here, no questions asked, and sometimes Paxton would have time for him and sometimes he wouldn't, but he was never turned away. Crowley was resolved long ago to just take whatever Paxton would give and never ask for more. He had a tendency to lose people important to him, and keeping Paxton at arm's length would keep him safe. At some point, Dog had found his way onto Crowley's lap, and it was only the nudge to his hand when he stopped that made Crowley realize he'd been scratching Dog's head. And then it hit him. He'd nearly died. That could have easily been his funeral. Who would even be there? Crowley could count on one hand the number of people he actually thought might bother turning up, and at least one of those would be just to check he was really dead. Dog jumped down off his lap and ran off into the area behind the bar. Crowley sighed heavily, tipped his head back against the wooden beam behind him and shut his eyes. He was tired, sore and getting thoroughly fed up of his job. A nudge to his shin and a whine and he looked down to see Dog give him his best begging eyes with a blue rubber bone between his jaws. I can't play with you, Dog. Doctor's orders, he told him. He's not trying to play with you, Paxton said as he wiped down the bar. He's trying to give it to you. It's his favorite. He can tell you're upset. And that was another thing. 
Paxton always just seemed to know stuff without being told. And he had no qualms about using it against him. And now there were tears running down Crowley's face because his bloody bastard dog was giving him his favorite sodding toy in the whole crappy world to try and cheer him up and people just didn't do things like that for assholes like him. Kindness was not something he ever deserved. But here was Dog, no motives, just being his pure and innocent self and Crowley had no idea what to do with love like that. Nas, your toy dog. You keep it, he said, managing to keep his voice mostly level. He's decided you need it more right now and you'd better take it or he'll start bringing you all sorts of things until something works, Paxton warned. Some of the stuff he finds I had no idea he even owned and that's assuming he's not added thievery to his records. Crowley sighed and patted his lap. Doc jumped up and dropped the toy in his hand. It was slippery with drool and stuck with bits of fluff. Lovely. It's the thought that counts, eh? Now you've got to put it in your mouth or he'll think you don't like it. It's a chew toy, Paxton said. Crowley turned to look at him and without his sunglasses, Paxton was treated to the entirety of his horrified expression. Paxton snorted out a laugh. <laughs> oh, I wish I had a camera for that. Your face is priceless. I'm joking. Just hold it for a bit, smile and then give it back to him. <laughs> Paxton chuckled. Crowley turned back to Dog. Dog, I think we're going to have to get good old Uncle Paxton back for that one. Oi, less of the old you! And I'd like to see you try and get one over me. You forget how long I've known you, young man, and with age comes wisdom. There's very little that gets past me these days. Paxton told him, waving a dishcloth in his general direction. Like that was going to do anything but spur him on. The nurse phoned one last time and he'd been about to call her bluff on her threat to call the police when he realized that he really didn't want them going through his flat with all its souvenirs. Maybe it was Paxton's narrowed eyes watching him, but he ended up begrudgingly apologizing and thanking her for putting up with him. She nearly did call the police at that, and it took putting Paxton on the phone to confirm his mental state and that he'd just been guilt-tripped by a higher authority for her to come down and sign him off. Crowley resolved to be extra mean in getting Paxton back to make up for it. Perhaps a good dose of mischief was what he needed to get over Alistair. Fuck knows nothing else was helping. In the end, Crowley stayed two weeks. He reasoned that the air quality was better and taking Dog out for a walk every day would be good for them both. 
As much as Crowley loved the city, he had to admit it was calming to be out in nature a bit more, even if he was still reminded of Alistair and Eric every day they went out on the downs, and every night when he went back to that little room and its pine bed. He wondered if Alistair would like having a dog. As for revenge, it turned out Paxton was just as sharp as he'd claimed, and Crowley had to draw on quite a bit of his ingenuity to catch him out. After several failed attempts, he roped in some regulars one night whilst helping behind the bar, who were more than happy to keep adjusting the clock on the wall every time Paxton turned away. It was past one in the morning before he eventually cottoned on and chucked them all out, laughing. The victory was bittersweet because Crowley just really wished Alistair had been there to see it. He'd have done that crinkly eye thing which wasn't quite a smile but wanted to be. Mission accomplished and his wounded pride thoroughly revenged, Crowley got restless again, and seeing as his six-week checkup was coming up in London and he seemed in good physical health, Paxton let him go. He still called around once a week for months afterwards. For someone who had grumbled every time about watching Golden Girls, Paxton seemed to have a lot of questions about it. Back in London, and given the all-clear, Crowley had tried to get back to his life, but without the distraction of pub life and dog walking, he slipped back into realizing just how truly alone he was. The world just didn't seem to make sense without Alistair. He missed him, missed his smile, missed his solid presence, missed the way Alistair seemed to anchor him. Crowley missed the sound of his voice even when he was complaining about something. He even missed his ridiculous, fussy habits and the way he stubbornly refused to be anything other than who he was. Fuck, he missed him so much it hurt and his coping strategies for the long, silent evenings weren't working. He was waking up too many mornings in a bed that was going to be empty no matter what he did, with no memory of the night before, and nursing a near-permanent hangover he thoroughly deserved. It had to stop. For his first broken heart, he was handling it spectacularly badly. Crowley ended up just late there late one night, staring at the number and name on the screen, torn between the terror of calling him and hearing the rejection and the pain of never knowing what if. Indecision and fear prevailed every time while he stared at one of the many photos he'd taken when Alistair wasn't looking. Hurried things, often not straight and frequently blurred. He captured Alistair's shoulders from the back, his profile, the top of his head while he was lost in a book. Pieces of a hole and not a single one had his eyes in them. Nothing to help him remember if they were grey or blue. 
Crowley fell asleep, thinking of all the ways he'd got so lost, and Alistair was the only thing he knew that felt right. He was going out of his mind, and he didn't even care. The angel was under his skin, and he was unravelling from the intensity of it. The physios encouraged him to continue the exercise and ramp up slowly, so he had walked aimlessly around Soho, dipping in and out of the clubs, hoping to catch sight of Alistair, but to no avail. There were a couple of times where he thought he'd caught a glimpse of pale hair over the crowd, but it never turned out to be him. A voice would have Crowley suddenly turn around and search, but he could never track it down. Even St. James's Park was horribly devoid of angels with blonde hair and an aversion to modern fashion. It was an obsession, and the only way he could reconcile himself with his behavior was not allowing himself to use any of his professional skills to actually stalk the man. Because he could. If he wanted to. He knew the codes for the security system, knew where the cameras pointed, knew all the weak spots. He could get Alistair's itinerary and wait, unobserved, outside his home. Fuck, he could get hold of a drone so quiet Alistair would never know it was hovering outside his window, watching his every move, watching him as he slept. He could be in the room whilst Alistair slept, and Alistair would never know. And that scared him. Crowley could do all that and more he had before in a professional capacity, and the thought of using those skills on Alistair like that left him feeling physically sick and wanting to crawl out of his own head. He was poison, and Alistair deserved better than that. Alistair deserved better than what he was already doing. Lord knows he knew that, but he could tell himself it was okay to just happen to bump into him in passing, by sheer chance. It was okay to happen to see him from across the park, to just look. It was okay to leave it up to Lady Luck. It was not okay to mount a sophisticated and professional covert operation to ascertain his movements, then sit and wait for him to show up. And it was definitely not okay to infiltrate his house under cover of darkness just to hear the snuffling sounds he made while he slept. Stood one morning, looking at himself in the bathroom mirror and resolutely ignoring the latest scar, Crowley realized he was getting out of control. What the hell was he doing with his life? This wasn't like him. He'd always assumed you decided one day that you wanted to share your space with someone, then went out and found someone to love, or that you could at least live with. It was never something he'd thought he'd ever want, not something he'd ever looked for, but then he'd met Alistair, who had proven him wrong, and his life had shifted so fundamentally that he didn't even recognize it anymore. He'd never needed anyone else like this. 
He'd never craved another person there in the quiet moments, never wanted anyone to interrupt his space. But right now he had a lot of quiet moments that suddenly seemed so much quieter than before, and all he wanted was to look up and see Alistair sat there with his nose in a book. This had to stop. He had to get his old life back, because he sure as shit wasn't going to get the one he was yearning for. Life wasn't a fairy tale, and he wasn't getting a happy ending. What he needed was a project. He started looking up architects. Then, at the tail end of June, the Gits at the Booker Awards had decided to do a press event to try and give Alistair the limelight he was so unceremoniously torn from, so Crowley had to sit through a video of Alistair looking like he was hating every moment of it whilst dishing out thanks to all sorts of people for their help. He was mentioned, briefly, not by name, and Crowley couldn't decide if it was a mercy or a cruelty to deny him the sound of his name from Alistair's lips. But there he was, bundled in with everyone else, only a slight pause in Alistair's voice to show he noticed him at all. Crowley limited himself to playing it once a day, often to fall asleep to when his brain was loose enough to almost think that the speech was directed at him thanks to the wonderful flexibility of English pronouns. His birthday came and went. He never bothered to celebrate it anyway, but he'd had a wild thought once upon a time that it might be nice for someone else to actually know when it was. It would help if he'd told them, he supposed. Summer dragged slowly on, and Crowley tried to wean himself off that damn video. He tried to get back into work, taking on one-off gigs that only required a few hours, some odd bits of consulting work, telling himself it was because he needed to start back slowly and give his body a chance. Deep down, though, he knew he was holding on to the hope that Alistair would call him and he wanted to be nearby. But Alistair didn't call and the hope began to dwindle. By the end of the month, word reached him that Gabriel had finally been arrested. Carmine had done what she did best and found all sorts of juicy information, publishing just enough to make it impossible for the police not to act. Lord Beelzebub was also under suspicion, and Huster was nowhere to be found, but Gabriel was in a cell. It was a start. Crowley decided he had to get out of London. He tried to distract himself with the passing of the seasons, watching the coats getting gradually darker and thicker, noting the first announcements of the dreaded leaves on the line, but it didn't help. Gabriel fought the charges. Lord Beelzebub denied any involvement, blaming it all on Gabriel. Gabriel claimed she was using him for information and blamed it all on her. 
They covered their tracks well, and the police couldn't find Huster to confirm either way. Paxton said nothing when he turned up again, just handed him a key, eyeing his lengthening hair. Crowley had always wondered if he would like longer hair, but with one thing or another he'd never been able to grow it out. Turned out his hair curled. Who knew? Silver linings and all that. He didn't stay in Sussex too long, but it was enough to recharge a bit, get some paperwork sorted, a survey or two. Paxton told him to hang on to the key. Halloween was normally Crowley's favourite time of the year. He liked the spooky atmosphere, liked getting the snake contacts out and scaring the living shit out of people. He revelled in the mischief and the tricks. He always asked for a trick. But he didn't feel up to it this year. He tried to distract himself with paperwork. So much bloody paperwork. Why did planning permissions have to be so complicated? Bonfire night was a resolute nope. He spent it in bed, under the duvet, watching a cartoon series about rabbits on his phone and trolling the flat earthers and anti-vaxxers. Christmas was spent in London, unable to face the thought of all the happy people in the pub and reluctant to impose on Paxton any more than he already had. So this year it was another solo affair, watching Golden Girls back to back and eating enough curry and ice cream for a small strike team. Normally his Christmases were spent alone when he wasn't working, enjoying the solitude. Normally, he didn't wake up wishing he had someone else there to open presents with. To buy presents for. To decorate a tree and get excited with. But this last year had been anything but normal. On New Year's Eve, he stood on his balcony watching fireworks erupt all over the city. He raised his glass of Kalila at midnight, silently toasting Alistair wherever he was, wishing him a happy year and absolutely not acknowledging how wet his cheeks felt. He would try and stay out of London after tonight, wait until it hurt less. He had other places to be anyway, now that things were getting moving. But the book launch was too tempting. Here was a publicly advertised place he knew Alistair would be, and a time as well. There would be so many other people he could slip in and out unnoticed, maybe even catch sight of him from afar and see how he was doing. He ached for another glimpse of those eyes, the colour of eternity, but he would suffice with seeing the pale curls, the broad expanse of his shoulders, his hands fluttering around. He missed the way his face betrayed his every emotion, the frowns that almost hid the mirth behind them, and the smiles that lit up everything within a hundred metre radius. He missed seeing the way Alistair moved, gliding silently around like a cloud, 
albeit one that carried the sun with it. He even missed being snuck up on. He just missed him, okay? He really, really missed the sound of Alistair's voice, even when it was chastising him. Yeah, okay, mostly when it was chastising him. That special way Alistair had of using words that sounded very much like being told off, but the tone and those crinkles around his eyes suggested it wasn't what he really thought at all, and Crowley loved it. He should never have been seen. That was not the plan. He'd been so pathetically desperate he got sloppy and he had paid the price, but he just couldn't resist the opportunity to see him one more time before the trial. Before they had to stand in the same room and tell the world all his failures. Before he had to go there and admit everything, because there was no way Gabriel or Lord Beelzebub's legal team would miss out on the opportunity to drag him through the mud for getting too involved with his client, and let's face it, I love him, your honour, from the witness stand while Alistair looked on, horrified, was not exactly how he'd imagined it would go. Let's just hope Huster turns up. By the time Crowley found himself at his own front door, it was late into the night. He'd stalked around London for a bit, but he just couldn't get Alistair's expression out of his head. The look of shock right before he'd fled at the sight of him. He never should have brought the flowers, much less left such a blatant note with them, but it was fairly obvious at this stage in his life that his sense of self-preservation was dysfunctional. It had been a year and he still couldn't move on. Pathetic. Stripping off and throwing himself down on his bed, Crowley resigned himself to the constant ache he now felt in his chest that had nothing to do with his age. He was only in the city for the night, just for the launch event. He hated it here now. Everything made him think of Alistair. The two pieces of the silk handkerchief were still sat on the coffee table where he'd left them, and he knew he should throw them away, but he somehow never got round to it, so there they were still, bittersweet, dusty and shameful, as the detritus of his life built up around them. Tomorrow he would get a new SIM card and head back out of London again. Tomorrow he would stop all this hiding and start getting in control of his life again, because clearly Alistair was a lost cause. He'd bolted at the sight of him, for fuck's sake. Can't get any clearer than that. Tomorrow. He would get his arse in gear tomorrow. He coiled his body tightly in the bed, curling around his reignited pain and heartbreak and constricting ever tighter as if to squeeze the life out of his stupid feelings. Squeeze out the hope he'd been fruitlessly harbouring all this time. 
Tomorrow was a new day, a new life. He would let himself have tonight. Crowley slept badly and gave up somewhere around seven. Shooing the last of his despair deep down where he couldn't hear it anymore, he shoved some more clothes into a black leather weekend bag and, after a final check on his plans, not long now, you lot, hang in there, he headed out into the streets of London. He went into the first phone shop he found open and bought a new SIM card. As he walked down through Green Park and past the Palace to Victoria Station, he fired off a few text messages notifying those that needed to know of the number change. Settling himself on the train into a set of four seats with his bag taking up the seat next to him, Crowley slumped, legs splayed out under the table. He watched all sorts of people out the window, all rushing down the platform to board the train before it departed. All sorts of life so much more in control than his. Ten minutes after leaving the station, his phone rang. Hey RP, what's up? Like the new number? I'm on a train, by the way, if I lose you. Oh yes, very you, with all the sixes, you devil. I bet you're feeling very pleased with yourself. Crowley grinned. Now, if you don't mind, you reprobate, I actually have some news for you. Crowley's grin vanished, and he shifted into something closer to sitting in his chair. Go on. I think we should talk about this one in person. Shall I come up to you? Now I'm heading out your way. Swing by later, yeah? Indeed. Call me when you're close. <laughs>